Okay, so um, we did the prayer. I, I did the land acknowledgement, introduced myself as Michelle Robinson, she and her. And um, I invite Crystal to introduce herself and just tell us how you're doing. Quick check-in. Okay, uh, Crystal, my pronouns, she, her, they, them. And uh, I am uh, identify as a settler colonizer uh, person and also someone who uh, is Canadian but grew up living mostly outside of Canada. And I'm a teacher and today we had two classes had to go into isolation because there was one case of COVID with a kid. So it was a little bit of a doozy of a day. Yeah. Awesome. I'd like to, uh, Andrea to introduce yourself, your pronouns, and how you're doing today. Hi, Andrea. Um, a person, and uh, yeah, all all is all is good. Been looking forward to this discussion tonight. Awesome. Thank you, Andrea. Uh, Jeremy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. Uh, hi, I'm Jeremy. I uh, can refer to me with he, him pronouns. Uh, and uh, today was a pretty good day. Um, nice and busy at work. Um, but I was able to help a few people, a few of colleagues. Um, so that's how I like it. Oh, that's great. Um, I just put the running order kind of in our notes. I thought maybe um, I'd invite Carol and then Roberta, Kat, Rosemary, Dawn, and Heather. So uh, I'm just going to put myself on mute, listen, nod, and eat. Oh, that's a good idea. Sorry, Carol, we can't hear you here. She's not speaking. Sorry, I'm muted. I'm not, yeah. very, I'm not very good at the Zoom thing yet. Um, I'm Carol Reese. I'm Roberta's sister. Um, I identify oh, as... Um, this is a first for me. I'm really interested in, in the topics that are covered and, and uh, talking about uh, residential schools. We're not sure of our background. We suspect that, that our family was Métis but wouldn't talk about it. So um, we're, we're, Roberta just invited me to come because I'm really interested. So I'm Roberta, I'm Carol's sister, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, we, um, uh, we were told our grandmother was Métis, but she died when our mom was little, and um, we were not allowed to talk. There was, there was Indigenous marriage within the family and cousins, but we weren't allowed to talk about indigeneity. We were told we're French, we're very French, um, so, um, but so we have no experience, no, no cultural knowledge, um, but yeah, a lot of desire to learn. Hello, I'm Kat. I use she, her, or they, them pronouns. I am a settler and an artist who works in retail. And I also run a book club called Settlers Book Club, focusing on settler stuff. Um, and have been educating myself for the last over the last 10 years about um, issues that have affect Indigenous people and also working towards reconciliation and truth 
and thanks for being here, or thanks. <laughs> I'm grateful to be here and I'm doing okay. Or I think you're up next. What? Uh, us? Who? Don and I? Rosemary. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm Rosemary. Um, I use she and her pronouns. Uh, I'm a white settler of uh, <clears throat> Irish, British, uh, French, German background. I was born and raised uh, on traditional lands of the Onondaga Nation in upstate New York. And uh, came to Canada. I don't know when to become, I don't know when I came, 1970, 71. Um, yeah, today, today's been a busy day. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with things to do, but a uh, happy thing tomorrow afternoon when the weather is supposed to be six degrees, two of our grandchildren are coming over for a socially distant backyard visit. So I'm really looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. I'm Don. Uh, I'm a settler of British descent. <clears throat> um, I've lived in Calgary since 1960. Um, and uh, I, I've, I noticed a uh, number of things that were different about Calgary from the other places in Canada that I had lived in. Uh, today was a pretty good day. I finished a uh, major assignment, so I was pleased with that, so. I'm on, I'm, my name is Heather, I go by she, her, he, they, them. I'm of uh, settler British, mostly British heritage, and uh, I was born in Calgary. My father was born in Alberta. My grandfather was born in Alberta, all on Blackfoot territory. Um, my family's been in, in uh, Turtle Island, on Turtle Island, probably 1830 on both sides. Um, yeah, I've been, um, yeah, thanks. Well, it's great. Thank you, everybody. Jeremy, go ahead. I uh, got overwhelmed, I guess, and forgot to introduce myself properly. Um, and since I'm new, I figure I should probably do that. Uh, so I'm also a settler colonizer, um, French and English um, descent, I suppose. Um, and a little similar to Roberta and Carol, um, my grandfather, uh, you know, I basically got his Métis card um, just before passing away. But before that, uh, there was, uh, it was, wasn't talked about in the family at, uh, at all. Um, now it is uh, like Eastern Métis, which I guess is also a controversial thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's me. Um, I socially and uh, culturally have always uh, felt like I belong to the settler colonizer group. Wow, well, it's great to hear everybody. Carol and Roberta, um, Jeremy, all identifying as Métis. It's kind of a fitting day because today is Louis Riel Day, um, start of Métis Week for a lot of um, folks across uh, Canada acknowledging today. So um, they started their uh, flag raising ceremony about noon today at City Hall. I think it was all virtual, so you might want to look on uh, Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Um, I think they're the ones spearheading a lot of the events. So I know I shared something from um, Calgary Library. They had a, a calendar of events as well. So just want to, you know, encourage that if you can make uh, a conversation or two and hear other people. Uh, I know Matt, he, he's a part of this. He's, he's going to be do some, doing some teachings through Zoom and such. So um, definitely look out for that. And as for uh, the conversation, especially about reclaiming uh, your Métis identity, I strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. I strongly encourage you to start your walk down the red road. I strongly encourage you to proudly start identifying as Métis because the policies were put in place for you to not be proud of who you are and your family has prevented you from knowing who you are for a reason because it wasn't safe. They were trying to keep you safe. That's why we don't have our language um, in my family because my family thought they were doing me a favor by not, you know, teaching me cultural ways. Um, and bigger than that, as we all know, Indian residential schools taught us to be ashamed of who we are. So by practicing, by me putting on ribbon skirts, by me putting on beads, um, you know, for a lot of families, mine included, that uh, that's an embarrassment. That's a source of shame because that's a pagan way. And in my family, the Catholic um, ways were taught uh, to an abusive point, uh, to the point that by even divorcing an abusive spouse, you know, you were committing a sin. Uh, my family is sad. I'm not Catholic. They're going to hell because of it. They told me so. Like this, we're still there, right? right. So, so if this is 2020 and this is way my family is, you know, of course there's still a lot of people that are being prevented from being proud Indigenous people because their family is still ashamed of who they are. It was taught to be shameful, and judging by some of the comments in uh, any article about Indigenous people, you can see where that still stems from a lot of Canadians too. So, um, if you are ever struggling with walking down your red road, please don't hesitate to reach out and we can uh, talk about it because that's intergenerational trauma and that was taught. That was that was imposed on you on purpose so you would never be proud of your, your roots and I don't want that for you. I want everyone to feel proud of who they are and uh, I wish settlers would see their role as you know, facilitating that as well, instead of taking space on language courses and stuff like that. So uh, the hope is we will all get there together. And I encourage everybody to, you know, explore who their Métis family are, so that you can proudly identify who you are, because you have the rights to. And Canada doesn't want you to be proud of who you are, because they owe you a lot of land. <laughs> 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 My friend Terry is just uh, joining us as well. Um, as soon as I see that they're on, I'm just going to let them know that we're recording. Um, and Terry, I don't know uh, if you're comfortable being recorded. If you're not, let us know. Uh, this is meant to be a safer space. So um, at any point in time throughout this conversation, we can even pause the event just to um, you know, share something that you may not feel comfortable, whether it's names of nonprofits or whichever. Um, so just please, you know, don't hesitate to ask for it to be paused. That's no problem. And Terry, if you are comfortable, uh, if you want to unmute yourself, if you want to just introduce who you are, uh, your pronouns, and maybe how you identify. We've done a, we've done a kind of a round. We've done some a land acknowledgement as well. So I just encourage you to jump in. 
can you hear me? I can. Okay, perfect. My name is Terry. I go by he, him. <clears throat> I am a transgender, and I know Michelle from doing, uh, um, <clears throat> doing, um, I don't know what you call it. Uh, just uh, doing some community stuff in Calgary. Um, I am slowly discovering kind of what it means to be two-spirit. It took me a while to get around to uh, accepting that part of my life. And uh, I'm just, I went to a few of these um, before COVID and I'm glad that uh, we're doing this on Zoom now. I was really missing it. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Terry. So um, this one, and I encourage you, nobody has to mute themselves if they don't want to, because this is, uh, you know, a respectful sharing circle. So, uh, but understandably, if you mute because you have a barking dog or whichever, I totally understand. So, so I guess today we're, we, um, we're reading the volume four of the TRC. And I mean, not everybody, of course, has this available, but it is a free PDF. So I've been trying to share it. Uh, frequently this month to other people in the hopes that they would read at least part of it at the very least. Um, as usual, I find that these books have a lot more references in the back, so it's almost like a half book anyway. Um, and there is a Métis one as well. I didn't get into it, but, um, you know, just because we were talking specifically about the calls to action, about the missing children and marked burials. And, um, so maybe from the same starting order there where we go from Crystal to Andrea to Jeremy, Carol, Roberta, Kat, Rosemary, Dawn, Heather, and Terry, if uh, you just want to let us know um, what you read and where you're at in the calls to action or, uh, or the book and just some reflections to start us off with and then uh, we'll go from there. Uh, okay, well... Uh, what I did was I started researching the schools that were in the areas where my family has lived. Um, so, uh, so I have family in uh, Glace Bay, and the closest school there was the Sheba Nakadi Indian Residential School that was open from 1922 to 1968. And then in Ottawa, Montreal, the closest school was the Kahnawaga Indian Day School. In Kingston, Ontario, there was Aldenwick Industrial School from 1838 to 1966. In Toronto, Niagara Falls, there was a Mohawk Institute in Brantford, 1831 to 1970. Uh, in Pierce Land, Saskatchewan, there was St. Anthony's Indian Residential School, 1891 to 1968. Um, and then uh, Calgary, the, they called it Sarsi Indian Residential School, 1894 to 1930, and then uh, St. Dustin's School, 
There was Calgary Industrial School, 1896. I think that then was St. Dustin's, which closed in 1907 and then reopened as St. Barnabas. Um, and then in Port Hardy on Vancouver Island, there was in Alert Bay, there was St. Michael's Indian Residential School, 1882 to 1974. Um, and I actually had seen the school uh, visiting Alert Bay. It was, um, I guess that, I'm trying to think how many years ago, it was just before they had decided to demolish the building. So at that time it was a museum kind of format where you could go in and you could read the testimonies of different people who had been at the school. Um, yeah, and it's just the, you know, the structure itself, very oppressive. Even the look of it was very oppressive and it was interesting, you know, in the community of the, the reasons why to keep it there or the reasons why to have it gone. Um, and then uh, in the process of this, I came across the Anglican church descriptions. And then I started getting really upset because uh, the way that the St. Barnabas school was being described was like, there's no mention of any kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. The school's described as quote unquote, properly equipped providing the quote-unquote necessary vocational skills to lead a productive, self-sufficient life. Um, they even quoted famous alumni, David Crowchild. Um, and then when they talk about the flu, um, it's like this thing that happened that they had nothing to do with, not that they brought those children there and crammed them together in terrible conditions that led to um, all these people dying. It's just, oh, there was a flu going on and that just happened. And then, um, then at the end, they had a list of dates and they called that milestones. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, and at that point I did actually, I've drafted an email about you need to completely redo this whole thing. Like this is completely unacceptable. And the, I couldn't even look at what they said about reconciliation because I was so, uh, it was so upsetting to see that. And then I just thought like, again, Michelle, what you're constantly saying, it's what you're constantly saying is happening over and over again that, you know, people say reconciliation, but then they're still trying like, now that I'm in the other book club or reading the, white um uh, and white supremacy and the whole white innocence like i'm just seeing that whole white innocence of like we were innocent we just built these schools and we had good intentions and like and that like matters for nothing like it matter it matters not one bit what your good intentions were when you caused massive trauma and genocide like the whole context of it is like flipped around so anyway i kind of got on my own like uh, like a rabbit whole thing going off in my own direction but that's what I have to contribute and uh, yeah it is really hard and I, I feel like Michelle you're you're so amazing even to to sit here and talk with us about this I I can't uh, like appreciate you or thank you enough for everything you're doing 
to make a positive change. Yeah. So. Thank you for and those. If anyone else words. wants to write me with the to the Anglican people, like I, we can do a whole joint thing and bombard them with angry emails about like what is this crap. Yeah, that'd be good. I uh, I appreciate those kind words. I just try to remember that I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for them surviving. And um, you know, for me, this is a part of my healing journey. Just doing this book club and. I don't know too many natives that go through the TRC, actually, not going to lie. Um, obviously, when William, um, or I guess Murray Sinclair and um, Wilton Littlechild and, and um, some folks like, I mean, they had to. And I, I, I was sobbed a lot through this book because I thought, um, you know, they lived, they lived through it and then they had to hear everybody else's story and then they had to write the book. And now today they have mm -hmm. to add so it's like the least I can do is have a book club, you know, so that's and and to have willing people like yourself come that's what like that fills my heart so and and let's hope we can do letter writing campaigns and more so thank you for so Andrea, would you like to go next? Well, I just wanted. I don't know if we have everybody's emails or not, but Crystal, I like maybe you and I can exchange emails and just kind of, I'd totally work with you on like sure. a letter writing campaign. So I'm going to put in the chat my email okay. and you okay. can email and then you and I can awesome. connect after. Okay. Yeah, that's wonderful. And actually, if you guys could CC me, I would appreciate it. So yeah. yeah. Uh, Andrea, uh, did you want to go next and talk about where you are in the book and uh no because i actually didn't sorry my bad i didn't get too much reading done um but uh so no i don't really have a lot to add from that perspective sorry sure uh jeremy sure i could say a little bit uh so i don't have the book at least not a physical copy uh, thank you michelle for sending me a pdf uh, for chapter four um so, so i was able to read through that um, although it was difficult um, because it's, it just doesn't stop. It goes on and on um, with more and more examples of you know, terrible treatment. Um, and I guess one of the things that stood out, stood out to me was, um, you know, we, uh, Crystal mentioned this idea that uh, of white innocence and that, uh, oh, we, we, we meant well or whatever. Um, and yet, you know, regardless of that, uh, there's continuous reports of, you know, corporal punishment being totally um, unbelievable, of the buildings being completely unacceptable in terms of fire code and so on. Um, and, you know, for 100 years, I guess, uh, those documents are, are there saying that people that were part of the system knew, um, and yet nothing's ever done. So to me, that just, you know, that, that, how is that not intentional? Um, and then I was struck as well by the, the intersection with capitalism, I guess, um, where they had, you know, the cow herds um, that were there for the benefit of the students, and yet they were skimming the milk and selling the, the butter. Um, just, yeah, so many um, unbelievable uh, examples of uh, what was wrong um, 
and you know what what needs to be um, acknowledged further. Um, and uh, yeah, I also noticed some of the schools that were um, uh, in places where I had uh, lived or uh, have friends. Um, in particular, the Capel School. Um, which just seemed like every section started with the Capel School and something awful happened there. Yeah, that, that's all I have to say at the moment. Thank you. No, thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Carol, would you like to chime in? Did you get a chance to read the Calls to Action or Volume 4? I read the Calls to Action. I don't have uh, the Volume 4 um, book. Um, I wouldn't mind having either the PDF or, or getting the physical book, um, but I did read the calls to action. Yeah, I, I'm so new at, at this, I, I don't have a whole lot to, to say. I just wondered though, when you're saying white, um, what, what were you saying, white um, innocence? Is that what you were calling it? Could that also be white fragility? Like, you know how that's a lot in the news with the Black Lives Matters thing lately? like the white fragility thing, it, it sounds very similar to me. Yeah, not taking yes. responsibility. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind like of one all of the those same. defense, it's a, like the defense mechanism, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And yeah, minimizing the harm. Mm -hmm. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to talk over you. Uh, that bigger picture of, um, like, uh, it's it's funny because I think of Rosemary, who's been doing anti-racism work for decades. And I, I feel, even though I'm Native, I feel new at a lot of the terminology. And uh, because of the, like in 2016, when the Black Lives Matter stopped the Toronto Pride Parade, man, we had some really intensive conversations from that. That's That was the founding of Voices. And now today, you know, with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement really pushing out some really great books and resources i know my language has really changed and i've actually been red flagged on facebook for using the term white so i can be called an indian i can be called black but if i use the term white it gets reported and i get in trouble so i've started using a yt to uh, put white so it doesn't get red flagged like that's that's white supremacy there where i can't even write about white supremacy without being reported now and um crazy yeah so that like there has been so much change in dialogue and information but um it's it's hard to even try to share it so i really applaud cat and everybody here for reading books about white supremacy i found the book about white fragility amazing it really helped me feel so validated and then as time went on people were saying why are we listening to a white woman talk about um racism and then you start reading some of the black resources and they're so good i contacted a black uh, professor a few years ago already to talk about um racial battle fatigue and that's the concept where you're constantly mm -hmm. hearing like these negative things about your race and how it, it hurts your spirit, you internalize it. And that's why a lot of people are afraid to identify as First Nation, Métis or Inuit status or non, because you know, Canada does a really great job with their propaganda to tell you you are uh, you know, inferior, whatever. And uh, I know one, that's not true. And uh, two, they do that to absolve themselves from their responsibilities for the trauma that they have 
you know, imposed as well as the lab that they've stolen. So I really encourage to unpack like microaggressions in these terms because I found them so empowering to really proudly be who I am today. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but go ahead, Carol, if you have more questions or, or more comments that you'd like to well, add. I was just going to say one quick thing. I, I don't want to take up too much time. Um, my daughter, one of my both of my daughters live with me right now. They're they're twenty seven year old twins, and um, they have both mentioned to me, and one tonight in particular mentioned when I told her I was doing this, um, that in their school, in this day and age, when um, First Nations people were talked about, they were talked about in the way that they were like long, long, long ago ancestors, like that, <laughs> that people, Indigenous people don't even live nowadays. Like it, it was taught, so that's how she left, went through elementary school believing that, that Indigenous people were way like ancestors many, many, many years ago. And, and nothing was talked about with regard to residential schools or anything like that. It was just, it, it's weird how kids, so, and now the CBE wants to, they want to take um, any teaching of anything with regard to residential schools out. They want to remove that from the curriculum. It's sad because she's one, the one that I was talking to tonight, my daughter is a teacher. So she, she's kind of upset about that. So anyway, that's, that's all. No, I appreciate that share. Thank you so much, Carol. Uh, my uh, computer is super, super slow. So I'm trying to get you your uh, PDF. But basically, if you Google TRC volume four, then um, it's available. And you can if you do that, you can uh, go through it right now with us as well. So um, and, you know, um, I, I'm lucky enough to have a copy. And I, I encourage everybody. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for your oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I really encourage everybody to to grab what they can and 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 go from there because it's really good. Um, I, so who would be next? Carol, Roberta. Yeah, get to go after my sister. <laughs> um, I was struck just even in the description at the beginning, the the figures just completely. Um, brought me to my knees, the number of children who died and the, 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 the number, like 32% of the government, the government and schools didn't even record the names. 23% didn't record the gender. 49% didn't record the cause of death. And I think, talk about a parallel universe. You know, that that just wouldn't be happening in, in, um, in the rest of Canada that well so that that struck me um, and then I started looking at at some of the propaganda that people have brought up kind of this capitalist religious based propaganda uh, and one thing I came upon was you know the the food experiments they did with indigenous children they put children, half the children on an adequate diet and the other half basically on starvation diet. Uh, and the rationale was that children were coming in malnourished and underfed, but research shows the exact opposite. The children came into the schools with health, very high on the health index and got very sick in the schools. Mm -hmm. um, Carol and I grew up in the Crowsness Pass, very near Brockett, 
and the school there was the Sacred Heart School. And I noticed in the first 20 years that it was open, 65 children died. Like in 20 years, 65 children. And the parallel universe, so where we lived, um, there were families who had family on reserve. Our mom used to go play bingo with her friends on the reserve. <laughs> no, I know, but no one, no one ever talked like it, it was like this trauma that you didn't, you didn't sit down and have a conversation about. And our dad had two friends who'd been through residential school. Um, and they would talk, but not directly about it. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like the trauma was too great. And both had, had suffered a lot as young men. They were both men. Um, and then as they got, that was Buddy Carol, Buddy Van Loon. Yes. And, Don Big Charles and when they got they they were friends until my my dad my dad our dad died but it was to me it was interesting how you talked but you didn't talk you knew but you didn't know yeah and um, so Buddy Van Loon's daughter was my friend and she and I never talked about it she and I played together we rode horses but we never we'd allude to it sideways but never, so I, so I found that interesting, that whole, the whole shaming thing mm -hmm. and what shame won't let you say, won't let you admit. Um, yeah, so, and like Crystal, I was very disturbed by the Anglican sites and all, because uh, there was another school, St. Cyprian's that was near Pincher, that was Anglican. And yeah, it drove me nuts to look at, because it sounded like it was actually advertising for it. Is there a chance, Carol and Roberta, because um, I actually, when I had read about the one in Brockett, um, and I, like, there was a fire as well and such, and I was wondering, was there a monument there? And I, I put it out there on both my uh, Facebook and my Twitter, and it got reshared a couple of times, but I never got an answer. Do you know if they actually have any sort of memorial whatsoever there? Con considering, like you said, 65 kids, that's a lot. Well, and that's just the first 20 years. It went going on another, that was just 89 to 1909. It didn't close until 61. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a monument. There. I don't either. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Kat, would you like to uh, tell us uh, if you got to read the book or the calls to action or where you got and some of the reflections? Yes, I um, I read the whole um, calls to action. Um, I checked on Beyond ninety four, and uh, there are two of them that are not started: Call seventy five and seventy six. Um, seventy two, seventy seven, and seventy eight are in progress, and seventy one, seventy three, and seventy four are proposed. So I mean, they're working on three out of out of eight, basically. Um, I also have made a list, a personal list of where I went to school and uh, the residential schools um, that were in the areas uh, where I um, went to school. And I was horrified to find out that two to three um, residential schools were still active when I was actually in school. So I'm um, thinking about that and uh, want to make an artwork about it someday. Um, I also uh, did a 
quite exhaustive research on um, Treaty 7 residential schools, so uh, I made a list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I can share it if you like. Um, I also uh, researched the number of dead um, that were recorded um, and if they had a cemetery or gravesite and whether it was on public or private land. Um, there are two on private land, uh, one that uh, Michelle talked about before, the Dunbow School, and uh, the Red Deer Industrial School is also on private land, um, but that one's actually accessible to people. Um, and there's a number of uh, um, visits that have been to that um, site in Red Deer. Um, they're remembering the Children's Society of Alberta um, was created to remember the Red Deal Industrial School um, victims. Um, and there's minimum 69. And you know that they couldn't record or didn't record everybody um, at every school. So um, all the other um, for school, uh, schools on Treaty 7 land look to be like they're on all of the reserves. Um, I also um, saw that there were some um, some memorials at some of the schools, like in Gleeson, the Old Sun School has a um, um, commemoration there. Um, and that looks to be uh, a Red Deer as well. Apparently Red Deer was really bad, <laughs> like one of the worst ever. Um, and that's where, yeah, I went to junior high and high school. So that really hits home. Yeah, I uh, really bawled actually on that part because it is private farmland and you can access it by looking through binoculars at Fort Nomado, but that, like, mm. you can't walk on it um, by any stretch and that's unacceptable and, and my understanding is that there are still grapes there. Mm -hmm. Yes. There, and I've been to Fort Nomado, they don't, like, they have um, an acknowledgement of the school it's not mm -hmm. like mine. I'll I'll get to mine here in a and when we kind of do a, a round and I'll show you what what's not at Red Deer. And then uh, Michael Daw, who um, is a counselor and a historian of of Red Deer, said that there is one in the middle of the city actually as well. And uh, Lyle, who is one of the lead male elders out there, he's like mentioned in this book and mentioned the ceremonies that he did. Mm -hmm for that commemoration that you're referring to. Mm -hmm. So that, and that was part of the, where I bawled like a baby because that was really intensive that this, <laughs> it should be huge news and it's yeah. just not. Yeah. And I'm super interested in working on any sort of memorial or commemoration or getting access to res residential school lands. So if anybody <laughs> starts anything, I know Michelle, you were talking about that count me in. I'm on it. I'm eager to help with that. Awesome. Thanks, Kat. You bet. Um, Rosemary. So I, I was able to read um, the calls to action. I realize I, for some reason, didn't read all of them. So I read 71 through 76 and then read, uh, you know, uh, I didn't go to beyond um, 94, but I just looked for an update where the government's telling you what it's doing. And so the very first call, they say, well, the government doesn't take the lead on this one. And then the next ones, they talk about uh, money uh, that started in 
2019 that would last for about three years to basically implement the others. But when you actually go to the others, basically all they're doing is starting conversations with community yeah. and they're not directly moving ahead. And I mean, the TRC, one of the <clears throat> calls to action lays out the principles by which you know, the work should move ahead. And even on that one, oh, we're going to go have <laughs> conversations with the community, you know, to find out how to do this. And that includes the, the recommendation that talks about, um, you know, developing uh, protocols or whatever with, uh, you know, churches, other groups, private landowners, etc., around you know, these residential school sites and access and creating uh, memorials and a place for ceremony and ritual around those memorials. <coughs> I, um, I didn't look at residential schools in Canada. As you know, I grew up <coughs> in upstate New York on the traditional territory of the Onondaga Nation. And um, I'm going to come back. I couldn't find any, I couldn't immediately find any information about the Onondaga Nation. But what I kept being referred to was a school that existed in Western New York called the Thomas More um, School for Orphans and Destitute Indians. And there was actually a uh, 2019 news item on this on one of the local channels talking about you know, the need to learn this history that we all need to, it's part of all of our shared history, we all need to learn it. And they referred to the school as a national tragedy. It had one of the worst records of, of um, they called them boarding schools in the States. And it was established in about 1855 by two Presbyterian missionaries who to their credit spoke the Seneca language. That school, when I say Western New York, it was where the traditional lands of the Seneca existed. And, uh, they spoke Seneca, they hired Seneca speaking teachers, but in the 1870s, uh, a New York, the New York State Charities Board took over the schools. Language, the, the uh, Seneca language went right up the window. It was all about English, punishment for English, you know, hair being cut off, the clothes, uh, you know, punishment for speaking the language and, and the whole, it, they were just so outspoken and clear that they were there to civilize these children, to change them, to assimilate them. It was all about assimilation. And um, there's also, there's been a, a small um, video called Unseen Tears that's been put out where they interview uh, some of the survivors of the residential school who talk about their experiences. And, and the one thing that really uh, hit me was they talked about the disconnect so many of the children when they eventually left the school, a disconnect, right, from their own communities from and from the society they were supposedly being assimilated into and, and a real feeling of being lost. Um, and this school, it existed, yeah, I think until about like 1976, something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I was going to school in upstate New York all during that time, never heard about it, never heard anything. I knew nothing about boarding schools, residential schools. And I'm ashamed to say that until you asked us to go find out, Michelle, it never occurred to me 
to, to look this up. Um, I, I took a lot of notes, but you know, I'm having trouble remembering everything uh, about the school, but um, it was very important to learn this. And in learning about this school, I then learned about, uh, they referred to another school called the Carlisle School. And this was down in Pennsylvania in Cumberland County. And Cumberland County is where I had great, great, the German slash Pennsylvania Dutch ancestors settled and came from. And uh, the history of this school is fascinating. It was established in the 1870s by the military. And the purpose, they were, they were, they, it was set up in Pennsylvania, but the person who set up the school, this military officer named Pratt, his job was to recruit uh, uh, Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota recruits for this school. And the school seemed to be geared towards mainly like teenagers, not little, little children, but teenagers. And the purpose, like and he was doing this recruitment three years after the defeat of Custer, right? And the 7th Cavalry. And the government wanted the children out of the parents' hands so that they could use the children as leverage to subdue this resistance to land surrender. That, that was the, the whole purpose of it. And the way they convinced um, the chiefs to even let their children go in the first place, it, it was very sneaky because they'd already surrendered some land, right, through, I don't know if they were called treaties or different agreements. And so they said, well, you know, if you, all, if you knew how to read and write, you wouldn't have been fooled, basically, is what they're saying. So don't you want your children to know how to read and write so they can better defend their people and what they're doing? So they shipped the kids off. And this school became... Um, uh, a model touted by uh, the government in Washington. And the chiefs initially were allowed to come and uh, inspect the school and what was going on. And, and uh, then they were all taken to Washington where they're all praised for sending their children to the school. So this school then became a model for other residential schools across the country. And it ran on a military regimen uh, the boys, the teen boys, all wear uniforms. Girls were all in dresses, haircut, the whole thing. All about it's all about English culture being wiped out. It's all about assimilation. Uh, the quality, if you can put aside how they're destroying people's culture, the 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 quality of the education given sounded very very good they had they incorporated music and incorporated camping and all kinds of things but the again the ultimate goal was to um use the children literally pratt referred to them as hostages right vis-a-vis -vis the chiefs black and lakota land and children from all, all over the u.s went the cherokee went uh, ojibwe went oneida went seneca went and 157 students from, I found out from the Onondaga Nation, went to that school. And these were students who had been going to a day school on the Onondaga Reservation. And I haven't been able to find out information about that day school and whether it was kind of a boarding school on the reservation or, or what, but I, I intend to find out more. 
And today, um, the Carlisle School, it's, it's now part of uh, this military establishment. It's almost like a, a museum, right? And it's, they're all proud of this history. And the Sir Thomas More School is, um, it's part of the administration buildings on the reserve at Cattaraugus. Um, and um, they didn't talk at all about uh, deaths or anything at the Carlisle School, but at the Sir Thomas More School, one of the people speaking in the film, he talked about how in the winter when children died, the bodies were stored up in the attic because they couldn't bury them yet in the ground. And the video included shots of a cemetery. So it was definitely the, you know, the same issues, children dying, etc. And they talked about how even with Carlisle, eventually, you know, communication with the chiefs and others stopped and people did not find, that eventually they may have found out that their children had died, but it was a delayed mm -hmm. communication, you know, just nobody, nobody cared. So it is, um, yeah, it's, I intend to keep looking into this um, and it's overwhelming uh, to find out. Uh, two other things though that were interesting, um, by this time, like, you know, late 1800s, so of course, most of the Mohawk, right, who in Eastern New York, most of them were up in Canada, right, after the um, American Revolution. But there was still a small Mohawk reserve left, and it's still there, Aknasazne, and they now have an, um, a Mohawk Freedom School where everything is taught in the Mohawk language as a way to resist you know, all of that. So, uh, and then uh, there is a school today on the Onondaga Reservation. It's one of three, and I find this interesting. This is what I wanna find out. It's one of three schools in New York that are funded from the New York system or from the federal government as part of a treaty making process. See, everyone did a different treaty after, before and after the American Revolution. So it's quite a complicated system. But they, even though they follow the New York State curriculum, they have a lot of indigenous culture, language, et cetera, in the school. So sorry, I've gone on and on, but that's all no, I found. That's good, though. I'm glad that, like, mm -hmm. it's just, it's a small number of calls to action, but it, like, honestly, this, I couldn't mm -hmm. think of something more incredible for us to all be, like, really researching and knowing and, mm -hmm. and recognizing was right there. I mean, I grew up in Sylvan Lake and to find out later what happened in Red Deer. Anyway, mm -hmm. Don, I'll mm -hmm. let you go. Okay, thanks. Um, so uh, I, I went to junior high, uh, high school and my BA in Calgary. Um, and it, it strikes me that that uh, I vaguely heard, I think I heard about a residential school or a day school uh, in, in Calgary it, itself that was part of the Roman Catholic diocese. Um, mm. And I'm not sure whether that later uh, was turned into an early part of the campus of St. Mary's University. But I, 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 you know, I, 
haven't followed up on, on that. But, uh, you know, when I, was when I was thinking about the missing children, um, it, it, I sort of thought about the first time I went to Heritage Park in Calgary. And so this was, was actually uh, when it was just being finished in the early 60s. And so, and, and if you go to Heritage Park, I think it's basic, basically the same now. But in the school building that they had there, uh, they had a picture of uh, a class of girls in their teens uh, from the Siksika nation uh, from the school there. And, you know, I mean, it's sort of the the teenagers were all in, in you know, Western style dresses. <clears throat> but when you when you look at their eyes, there there was there was like uh, the eyes were very strange. They 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 showed some inner horror of what people have been ex experiencing. And and when I saw uh, a film called uh, Black Man, White Man's Land, Black Man's Country. Uh, there was a picture of an African leader <clears throat> who'd been captured by the British in Kenya. And he's sitting on the ground with his hands manacled behind him. And his eyes had, had the same look uh, of, of horror. So I was just, just thinking, you know, it's funny. I mean, here we are, horrible. Here we are in Calgary with Heritage Park. And what do they have? Mm, what nothing. what do they have there? <laughs> of you know, I mean, they're they're on the reservoir, uh, and across the reservoir uh, happens to be some indigenous land, uh, and. There's, there's just no rec recognition uh, in Heritage Park on that. Mm. And I, I bet if we went again, uh, to this day, we would find the same thing. And, and the same thing of, oh, we didn't know. Which also is, is, includes, and we don't care. It's not important to us. If it was important, it will be memorialized within Heritage Park. So. I, I, I don't, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Roberta, but I think some of that has changed because yeah. Ellen Gasser, who's coordinates programming, she works with a lot of indigenous people. That yeah. they, they work at Heritage Park to do yeah. indigenous programming, but I don't know how far that extends in terms of any of the, the <clears throat> the houses or like, I don't know how the program is carried out. Do you, Roberta? Uh, well, I know they have a teepee. They got a teepee recently and um, some members of the Siksika um, put the teepee up and did a ceremony. So I think they did it, did it properly. So that's as much as I know that, and, and they're, you know, they're, they're making an education program around it. So I know, mm -hmm. I know they're working on it. Okay. I really well, think it's important though, Don, to recognize what you're saying though. So for example, my um, husband and I, my, our family went out to uh, 
where the bow meets the elbow yesterday. This literally yesterday, they put up a brand new RCMP uh, statue and on there has a quote from uh, one of the board members. It's like, just imagine nothing being here um, oh, at this time. Geez. Yeah, like, and this is like a recent fact, like long, it was 2017. So we already had years after the TRC. So they're still picturing indigenous is not there. You know, mm -hmm. that that wasn't one of our major trading posts, that there was no buffalo. Like they're still completely erasing us. And this is today mm -hmm. in Calgary as art, right? So I, I think yeah. Don's point remains, but I like, I'm happy to hear that, Roberta. But I know I've spoken to people, uh, there's politics behind there too. And, um, and I'm not going to lie, because of white fragility, those who do identify as Métis, as First Nation, like the type of microaggressions these nonprofits still are imposing on oh, yeah. people. So like, we put up with it in hopes that we can get some real education in a place like Heritage Park. But at what cost for racial battle fatigue and, and how many women and men and Indigenous folks lose their job for having the audacity to tell them they might be wrong on something so <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i also wanted to just pick up on a comment uh from crystal uh and so about the the uh residential school at uh alert bay on vancouver island and so rosary and i went there mm -hmm. uh so I, I was to alert bay to uh, alert bay and so, you know, we've heard, heard about, I'm sorry, I'm being dis distracted by our cat. Uh, so on, on, a, on, a, on a serious point, there we go. Oh. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the, I, I really wanted to go to Alert Bay uh, to see the uh, carvings, you know, the totem mm -hmm. poles, mm -hmm. uh, to see the museum and the museum there uh was was the one that was that's that had been built beside the oh yes residential yeah. school oh, yes okay and so and the in it it had a new name and, and the the name meant raising together rising together and they had a huge exhibition on of uh, masks that have been stolen mm -hmm. from the Krakutal people at, after a potlash in the 1920s. And so these masks had finally come back. Um, yeah, and so, and it was just so uh, strange to weird, it felt really weird to me to look at the residential school. And mm -hmm. so this is going back to what, 2006? So yeah. quite, some, quite some time ago. Um, and, and it was sort of just this, this feel, a sort of feeling of, of evil, of mm -hmm. power, which emanated from that building. Yeah. And so I wondered, you know, wow, so how, how can people bear to, to have this s still here? You know, uh, and so when a number of years later it was torn down at the wishes of the Alert Bay people, the Kwakutl, um, I was really glad to hear that. 
you know so <laughs> I, I could I could really understand that that that's that that was you know just just such a reminder of the horrors that people had undergone there that's great thank you thank you Don Heather Yeah, so Don, as far as I know at Heritage Park, when I was there, and it's not recently, there was Heritage Park and then over uh, there was the old fort, the original, you know, supposedly set up as the old fort. And then behind the old fort was the, uh, was the teepees and the village. You know, and it was definitely set up as a has-been situation. These, you know, this was before. So it was over behind the old fort, behind the railroad station. Um, yeah, behind the ranch house, that kind of the, thing. The fort, the fort was uh, custom built for Heritage Park. Yes, okay. yeah, exactly. So it's, it's all replicas. It's, yeah. it's replica yeah. stuff, yeah. But there yeah. was a village there. But it was, you know, it was depicted as a village. There was a, I remember even a few teepees at one point. Mm. Uh, through my journey, I um, I was looking at the archives and, well, I went to Beyond 94 and then I was looking at the archives and I'm like, well, how good are archives if you can't research them? But then I couldn't get my head around how to research. So I sent them a thing on researching. <laughs> but anyways, but yeah, it was mentioned that, you know, they're in the process of considering talking about beginning to try to gather some of this information. And, and I did find out that there is actually a Truth and, Truth and Reconciliation Archives at the University of Manitoba and in the Chancellor's Building. And so they put a turtle, turtle out in front and had a commemoration for that. So there is a site and it is a visitable site. There is, uh, 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 there is a collection of uh, memorabilia and whatnot from the commission, from the uh, travels of the commission. There was a kind of a gathering box that if you want to leave a commemoration in when, you know, if you were listening or, pre or presenting. And so there is uh, some, something to go and visit there. So next time I'm in Winnipeg. Um, my family, like I said, was three generations here on the prairie. My auntie was a teacher, my great aunt actually, and her husband was an agricultural rep. And so the family story is that she taught at the residential schools and that would have been in the 40s and 50s, but I don't know, how do I find out anymore? So I didn't get too far on how do I find out. I asked, I sent a note saying, how do I find this out? Um, but when I asked my one uncle who is mentally challenged and senior at the time, senior, senior, um, he said she taught at all different schools, you know, and she would leave the family. She would cook out on the weekend and leave the family. So the kids were still at home, maybe not really young, but they were still at home. So I'm saying the forties and she would cook on the weekend and then go to the residential school for the, during the week and then come home, cook on the weekend, go back to the school. So 
The only other thing I have is that uh, the family said that was why she had a break with the church. Her husband still attended the Anglican church in the community and she refused. Mm -hmm. So that's the only thing. I didn't know anything about this at the time to actually interview Aunt Jessie when she was around. Um, so then I got on from the uh, Beyond 94 site, I had the, I was, uh, I was telling Michelle in the uh, 80s, I, uh, I signed up to be a foster parent because of Wednesday's Child was always on TV and break your heart, you needed to uh, foster or adopt all these beautiful little children. And so I signed up to be a foster parent. And in 81, um, I got my first and last foster child. But she wasn't Indigenous. But it was just a really weird system. But they, they presented it in such a righteous way. You thought you were doing something right. You know, mm -hmm. and so anyways, I was, when I was on the Beyond 94, there was a link to the Finding Cleo. And it is um, two seasons, it's over 10 episodes an hour each. I listened to all of it. And it was, it like just, it's about the 60s scoop. So Cleo's family was apprehended and they still use that word to today. Uh, when mom was at the AA meeting. So mom wasn't even home. A cousin was babysitting the kids and um, and mom was at the AA meeting and I thought, well, how, the AA meeting was always in a church. So how much did the church was even tied to this thing, you know? And then it went on into the structure of these. They started like, like they were almost seeking kids to apprehend, right? And then they were complaining about having so many kids in the system. And it was like, and she had family and it goes through why mom was part of the system and all of this stuff and she had family and it was a cousin that was babysitting and um, and when they and it was just a horrific and it took the journey of the family trying to find the six children that were adopted down into the states and whatnot different situations and trying to find information and it's like oh we would really like to tell you but you know these files are sealed and and this was to the reporter, but, and then the mother was already deceased. Well, we can only, we can't share this with the sibling. We can only share it with the parent. <laughs> and all this other BS around, like just totally unsupportive. And then they like, so they're like randomly interviewing people down in the States. And the woman says, oh my God, this was my girlfriend in high school. Like, it's just like, but she could tell them, but the official word couldn't come from anybody in just real weirdness, 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 like totally, we would love to help you, but there's nothing I can do. You know, I will try and talk to the next level. And apparently the family had been doing this for 20 years. Mm. And uh, so it was just a really real uh, journey down that, um, the whys and wherefores, it just went, it, this, this, this uh, podcast thing has had been awarded many awards because the detail, but the heartfelt, it, it's, it's, 
interviewing the family and all different levels of family and it was really, really heart structured, I felt, but very detailed factual too. So. Mm. Can I ask a question, Heather? What, that was done by a CBC reporter who's indigenous, yeah. wasn't it? She, yeah, brother, Connie Walker. Yeah, yeah. So Connie Walker said she was also from Saskatchewan area. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Heather. Yeah. Mm. Terry, um, did you get a chance to read the calls to action or the volume four? And did you have any reflections? I did. Thank goodness I'm a speed reader because I just did that today. Um, <laughs> as, as an Indigenous person, it just, my first reaction is just that like fiery, righteous rage deep in my belly, you know? Who would treat kids this way? How could this happen for so long and no one stand up for them in a way that actually, that could help them, right? Like the displacement of, of power and greed. And it's, I think the saddest thing about it and the thing that makes me the most angry is that it still exists, mm-hmm. you know? that has taken this long for people to even realize that it happened. You know, there's so much, um, so much gaslighting on such a large scale, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it just, it infuriates me. People who abuse their, their position of power, just, it really gets to me, you know, it gets under my skin. And I think it's supposed to. I think it should, you know. Um, but what do we what do we do with that? We we protest. We write letters. We, you know. And all of you being here gives me such such comfort. It really does. You know, I have depression. I have PTSD. I have these things. I've entered generational trauma I I was really angry for a really long time and didn't know why um, but now I'm I'm 31 years old and you know something about having that matured adult brain really helps in deciphering you know why do I feel this way and what can I do about it um, so I'm just I'm so grateful that everyone here is educating themselves and are, you know, um, making making a spot for for yourself and everyone else to, um, you know, continue the fight against this kind of atrocity. You know, it should never happen again. It never should have happened in the first place. But we really, I feel like we really need to make sure it never happens again, right? Um, I, I'm from the States. I didn't know about residential schools. I just knew, um, my, my family's Cherokee. All I knew is that they ran and hid in the Louisiana swamp and that's kind of where we stayed. Um, a lot of my family went into the military as soon as they could because that was a spot that 
was kind of, it kind of protected them being in the military and going to war than it was being at home and having a normal job and having a family. Um, so a lot of my family is gone. They're, they're deceased. They're just gone between war and addiction, trying to deal with, you know, the trauma that happened to them. Um, my father died when I was four from um, liver failure because he couldn't stop drinking. Um, and his older brother got ran down by a truck um, and they took off and I grew up with my grandparents and they were mourning their children every step of the way and there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know and didn't understand because they couldn't talk about it. Um, I couldn't understand why my father refused to claim his citizenship as a Cherokee man. Um, and then, you know, I realized he did it to protect me. You know, he did it to protect his children because in the States, like um, Carol was saying, you know, in the school system, they teach you that indigenous people are long gone, that there are people that once that you know once lived like the Romans and I'm sitting in class and I'm just like what the fuck is this <laughs> what do you mean I'm right here you can see my face in front of you what are you saying to me right now um and even um like uh I tried out for uh, a school uh like talent show and I used the one song I knew and uh, they went nope you've made that up go home that's nonsense just go home and I cried so hard I didn't understand and from that point on my grandparents just stopped talking about it completely you know before there'd be these little hints and stuff and that was it and I didn't understand why. And, you know, coming to Canada and kind of seeing the bigger picture of the history that's happened and is still happening today, it really, you know, I think they did the best they could to protect the future generations from what they went through. And I am doing my best to stay educated and keep learning and advocate and, just connect with other people who have the same kind of uh, values and, and empathy for um, what's happened and what's happening. So reading this, it's very much, you know, I think we can, we can all imagine what it would be like to have your, your child or someone very important to you taken away by someone you couldn't fight against. And I think, it, I think that really hurts, but I also think we need to not lose that, you know? It's, it's, it's stronger to stay, to stay sensitive and to learn how to stand up for people than to shut down. And I tried very hard to shut down, but um, I think it's, 
I think it's against uh, my DNA to uh, not survive, so. Um, I think, I think that's all I have to share. Um, my, I know, I know a lady whose mom worked for uh, one of the residential schools here in Canada for like the last year or two that it was there. Um, but it was one of those things where she, you know, come home, don't really talk about it, don't really, don't ask me about it, right? So um, I wish I had more of, of that story to share, but unfortunately I don't have that. Well, I appreciate you sharing and I appreciate everybody sharing. Um, I'm going to do a screen share um, because I have uh, some pictures I can show of the, because I, Ultimately, we're, we are talking about the, the memorial sites, right? The burial sites. Um, I think it's disgusting. It's just, I, I can't even contain my rage that I have towards Canada for not commemorating every single residential school. Um, it really bothers me that we need to have this conversation. I, I can't believe we have to have this conversation, but ultimately, um, what we're, what I'm trying to show you is not something that you would see um, from others. So, you know what, I'm just having a bit of a problem with this stupid screen share, because of course it's at the top. So let me just get this other screen set up so I can just have it like up. Because I, I don't know why this is always such a pain for me, but it is. So I have the calls to action. I don't want those. I accidentally took something out. Okay, let's see if I can get this to show again now. Because um, I want to show you my residential school. Um, and so my family's from um, way up north. And can you guys see Samantha? Make yeah. Sure? Okay. So I went up to my cousin's wedding. And this was Samantha's first time to go up to Yellowknife. So we took all the pictures. So where she's at right now is at the corner there of Brock Drive and Ragged Ass Road, which anybody who's ever been to Yellowknife knows that that's for some reason like this funny, um, well, I, I think it was Tom Cochran who has that, or one of the old Canadian group, they have that Ragged Ass Road song because based off of this, this place. So I took Sam there and I, I have one of those ragged ass road signs somewhere in this house. It's just kind of mine. This is my auntie's home uh, that she has. So just, it was middle of July. It was beautiful. So there's Sam and my, my little niece, Kihu. And this is the after the wedding part. Um, I have tons of pictures of the wedding. So they have a beautiful lodge there with the teepee. Um, so this is where the ceremony happened. You can see where the chairs were and, uh, that, that's where my cousin got married mm, to his, beautiful. this is my, my granny, um, in the red. My mom is right beside there. Um, the person laughing, <laughs> that's my auntie, my uncle Bob, my aunt Eileen, my uncle Rick, my uncle Ken, my auntie Barb, the new bride. She's a part of our family. And my my cousin, blonde there at the very end, he was the one who got married. Like we are direct cousins. So 
it's so mm. funny how uh you know it changes but uh so basically my family um went to Fort Providence and how interesting it's Métis Day and I have that stuff queued up they went to Fort Providence and uh the original one broke, uh, burnt down, and so they rebuilt. And a lot of the kids went down the Mackenzie River to my family's um, uh, Indian residential school, Sacred Heart. And by the time that we had gotten there, um, I don't know if it was purposely burnt down. So in the middle there, that old fellow, that's actually my grandfather. Wow. That's my grandfather and my girl. So... Um, and I'm trying so hard to get to my um, Indian residential school here. So that was my brother in, in, at the time in High River. So that's my same mom, same dad. That's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I, I somehow think I have gotten out of this because now I'm in a different one. So let me see if I can find it. Shoot. I thought I had it all queued up here. Oh, well. Um, See if I can bring up another screen share of it. If you look up uh, Fort Providence Indian Residential School, it's just a series of memorial slabs, huge ones. And they say things like, uh, the little girl was three, unnamed. Elizabeth, last name unknown. Um, maybe a few teachers. You know, they, they have that. So it's, um, it's haunting. I'm not going to lie. There's a white little path that goes up to it. And then that white path is uh, where you go because not all of the, the area is marked. And it was actually said in, the, in this book a bit about that. So the, this memorial that they have is about nine panels. It's... Um, prior to the TRC. So it used really awful language like, uh, you know, oh, sickness, sickness, never acknowledging the role of, uh, you know, starvation policies, um, underfunding, um, all those other things. So anyway, I don't, I thought I had it all queued up. I can't seem to make it work. I don't know why, why that didn't work. I'm sure I'll bring it up on my phone. It'll be just fine. But I wanted to go over the book a little bit as well with folks. Um, and for folks who are new here, normally how we share the, our circle is that we let the Indigenous speak first. So that that way, uh, that conversation is kind of led by Indigenous. Um, I went through the whole book. So just to go quickly through it, it talked a lot about statistics, uh, the gaps in their data, the operational policies and care, where were the children buried, some of the cemeteries and unmarked burials. And then it had a lot of um, information about the structure of the schools, uh, the schools destroyed by fires, other buildings surrounding there that were, um, you know, had fires, the lack of regulations that there were. Um, some school fires that were deliberately set and some that weren't. And when I, when I w finished reading this book and I opened up the TRC, um, the other report, this one, 
and I looked at the small little bit that they included. It was literally a page. So somehow they tried to encapsulate a page into the final report here. And, um, and I, I really thought that was a disservice. Um, I, I would never be mad at the TRC because it, it's impossible to encapsulate all of this in, into one, one book. Um, and I understand them. I, I think them doing the summary book was such a great idea for folks who just can't bring themselves to read all the volumes, but to at least have something to give them that clarity from. So this, uh, the summary itself only has like a page and then it goes into the calls to action. And uh, the irony was that I don't remember coming across some of these quotes that were in the um, summary report that weren't in the, in the volume four. So I'm, I'm sure it kind of piecemealed it a bit together in order to get it there. So, you know, for calls to action 71, to 76, um, yeah, I, or no, no, 74, 75, 76, yep, 76, okay, so we are, um, the bottom line is, we have graves that don't have names, we have families who don't have their loved ones, and I, I can't understand this travesty, I can't understand how we talk about genocide and people just are glossing over this. I can't believe that we're glossing over the fact that we can't go to these Indian residential schools and have a commemoration acknowledging the deaths. I can't believe it. I'm infuriated about it actually. And it's so hard because we're, you know, it was last week was um, Remembrance Day. So I was reading through a lot of the Indigenous vets and their contributions to the First World War, to the Second World War, while reading this book. And it went very clearly, the different policies that were laid out. Um, if you were following me on Twitter, I actually took screenshots. I was posting pictures of some of the ridiculousness that I, I just, I'm so angry, I don't even know how to talk about it, actually, in a lot of ways. Um, so I did take a few, I'm, I'm that awful person that dog ears, and I did that. And I dog eared a little bit about Old Sun and Pagan Reserves that were where children had died, and we still don't know if there's memorial sites to this. This is in our area. This is something that I think, I, I'm really sad to say this, but if we don't do it, I don't know who will advocate for these things. Because I don't know people going through the TRC, and especially in the depth that we are. And I sure as hell, which just fucking pisses me off, do not see Canadians infuriated that dead Indigenous children are buried across this fucking country and nobody gives a shit to give them a fucking memorial burial. I, I can't wrap my head around this. I cannot wrap my head around my daughter being taken from me, dies in some foreign school. Nobody tells me, nobody marks her goddamn grave. We sell the land to a fucking farmer and everybody is fucking a-okay with this. How are we here? How, how are we here as a nation? If we were going to talk about no other TRC, like to me, 57 is one of the important ones because every public servant needs to know. But they don't. 
my MLA that I ran against is putting forward a bill talking about acknowledging everybody else's genocide except Indigenous. Mm. Today, that's what was talked about in the legislature. Today. So it wasn't enough that people didn't help me run. It wasn't enough that they just fucking stole what I had to say about whatever it is I was talking about for Indigenous human rights and just fucking went with it. It wasn't a, like nobody is talking about these human rights atrocities and violations. This is genocide. We are literally having a book club while somebody's child is not even properly acknowledged yeah. on our treaty territory. I mean, I give settlers a bad time for their privilege. I give them a really hard time. But right now, today, the biggest thing we have is the... Um, Jack White Goose flying as a as a grave in in the Queen's Park like that's not a acknowledgement of the bigger picture of Indian residential schools on Treaty 7 territory and everybody's okay with it you can't even write six million more without it being a hate crime and yet there are indigenous kids today that are not being properly acknowledged and everybody is a-okay with it Everyone, and I cannot wrap my brain around this. This should be a top priority policy for every, every party, for every Canadian, and it's not. What matters more to them right now? Their internet. Yeah. I'm so pissed off about it. I can't even encapsulate how much. My Indian residential school, unfortunately, I can't, I thought I had it all queued up to show you. They have at least a commemoration there. I don't like the way they worded it, but it, it's one of the only ones that exist. Mm. How is that? I, I can't understand how a single Canadian can sleep at night knowing this. Not one, I don't, I don't understand. So I dog-eared a little bit about the amendments here in the Indian Act on page 37 in 1884. The Indian Act was amended to give First Nation band councils the right to um, frame rules and regulations for the attendance of uh, school children. And I found that really odd because chief and council wasn't a thing yet. So the way they even worded it in the TRC pissed me off. And I'm not going to be mad at the commissioners or the, or the folks that made this because this is the most important document I can come across. Uh, 1894, uh, the Indian Act was amended again to authorize the government to make the regulations and secure the compulsory attendance of school children at school. These regulations could be applied to the Indians of any province or of any name band. So, to you know, 1894, I mean, Alberta wasn't even a province yet because that was in 1905. So this is like uh, 11 years before Alberta even exists. The amendments gave government authority to establish an industrial school or a boarding school for Indians and commit to these schools children of Indian blood under the age of 16 once committed, could be kept there until they reached 18. In 94, there were more amendments done. And I, I won't go through them all. Um, some of these were so infuriating, I just cried. I took pictures and threw them on Twitter. Nobody gave a shit. Nobody shared them. Nobody fucking cares. And I, I can't understand how a single Canadian sleeps that night. Not, I'm not going to lie. It just pisses me off. This is legislated genocide. And people still denied this. 
last week all I did was call out Matt Wolf or Matt some some fucking idiot from the UCP that just keeps talking and talking and talking about how it's not genocide when it is. So Terrell Tailfeathers, he started the hashtag um, to fire Matt Wolf or whatever the stupid moron's name is. And I just can't even comprehend how he can, like I, I literally was posting pictures from this volume, giving that source. Nobody from these stupid progressive parties who claim they care retweeting a damn thing. I'm a former fucking candidate. They don't care. Nobody cares. The NDP, nobody. Oh, she's a liberal. I'm, I can't share that. The liberals, they're too busy, whatever. So they can't share it. And it, it's, it's an infuriating to me because these are my people. We are in the middle of a genocide. We are still living this genocide. And we can't even share information that is for everyone. Nobody, there's, there should be campaigns to, to start these memorial sites all across the country. It's private land. It's private farmland. I don't understand how a single farmer can feel comfortable plowing over a dead indigenous child that was forcibly removed from their family. I cannot, I can't wrap my brain around this. So really angry about it. Um, Dog-eared a, a few other things here that are, oh, I know a lot of the things that I dog-eared actually showed a lot of RCMP involvement. So in a lot of our languages, RCMP translates into those who take us away, uh, that type of terminology. And I mean, we have, we as a group have worked on TRC for quite some time. And um, what I can't understand is how, like it's been embedded throughout all of this conversation, how it is people still cannot comprehend the historical context of why police are so detrimental to Indigenous people. Like, I, I think it's purf purposely ignorant, just as this UCP government obviously is going out of its way to deny Indigenous education and such. But, you know, it, it's just so infuriating that everybody is just a-okay with it. I, I can't even wrap my brain around it. Um, so, oh, and then it talked a lot about tuberculosis. Um, a lot of the conversation revolved around tuberculosis and the sickness and them knowing that they were purposely getting all these kids sick and doing nothing about it. I don't understand how Canadians sleep at night knowing that. Um, you know, going over some of the tuberculosis here. Campaigns of this nature had a significant impact in 57, a survey of Roman Catholic schools in Cardston, Alberta showed that 229 students on 195 had no evidence of tuberculosis. This was after they had actually um, instituted a vaccine policy in the mid-1950s. So prior to that, they were A-OK -okay with the death of all these children, right? Um, but residential school students were still being diagnosed and treated for tuberculosis in the 1970s. Um, I mean, I know elders today who still have that issue. Talked a lot about fire hazards. Have a lot of dog-eared stuff about that. Oh, poor policy about construction, firefighting, the lack of uh, policies that were federal jurisdiction over provincial jurisdiction. A lot of these schools were made before provinces even existed. And um, that really wasn't, I think, pointed out enough. I, I wasn't pointed out at all. I had to keep pointing it out. And it, and it just annoys me that, <laughs> we're, that we're here. So 
Um, they had fire pole escapes at one point in time. They thought that was reasonable to have like little five-year-old indigenous kids going down a fire escape. And they wondered why the kids wouldn't do it. Oh, and then there was this one about the failure to report um, allegations of improper behavior from Indian Affairs or to the police or both. Um, failure to take action, failure to believe students and parents talking about abuse, government failure to report abuse to police, failure to support indigenous or police investigations, failure on the part of indigenous, fair, uh, indigenous affairs field staff to report properly on the um, prosecution of Indian residential school staff to senior officials. So they talked about a teacher, you know, beating a child and then just getting transferred to another school, failure to screen effectively when hiring, failure to protect students from abuse of other students. And actually that's something my uncles talked to me about is that their abuse was actually from other students. Um, failure to assist victims. There's to this day, there's no, you know, intergenerational trauma resources for indigenous people. Um, the White Bison Society, which I, I'm lucky enough to have a certificate through, was uh, started in the States. And that is one of the only programs I've ever come across that talks about intergenerational trauma. To this day, Alberta Health Services do not have proper, um, you know, counseling services for Indigenous, never, in, you know, culturally appropriate. You can never smudge anywhere in these health facilities. It's disgusting. Um, so, and then it talked a lot about runaway um, issues under the term of truancy and it talked about the scope of that problem and the lack of reporting and how people died and it even talked about Charlie Windeck in this um, and I, I cried a lot through this part because like they named these kids and they named why they died three girls ran away from the Anglican school in Gleeson Alberta on the afternoon of March the 8th 1962 since there was no school the next day, the girls were uh, going to be allowed to go to their nearby homes at the end of the school day. The principal made no effort to locate them. The girls visited with a local family and did not try to return to their homes until the evening when they were overtaken by a blizzard in which two of them died. So we don't know their name. We don't have a memorial for them. They are not re referenced. We know Charlie Windeck. But we don't, we should, we in Treaty 7 should know these names. Mm -hmm. We should be honoring this. Just like we would, like when we talk about Orange Shirt Day, we should know these names. These are the names. And when there should be a mm -hmm. freaking stone somewhere commemorating this. But we're not there because it just doesn't seem to care for people right now. We can't even get this Beaufort Towers taken down for Christ's sakes. Um... So the restriction of the use of the Royal Mounted Police. So after years and years of legislation forcing them to, they actually then um, changed it so that the, basically what was happening was the RCMP was charging Indian Affairs so much that Indian Affairs made the decision that, oh, well, you know, let's try not to call the RCMP at first, which of course then resulted in more and more deaths from kids running away and nobody looking for them. And they have stories, horrific stories in this, about that. So I was pretty pissed and over, pretty mad. Nobody seems to care. 
uh, burial pro pro policies and practices. So here was another conversation where it talked about costs. Not the humanity, but costs. Mm -hmm. So this pissed me off a lot. And um, they talked about burying some of these children in Red Deer at the municipal uh, cemetery at one point in time and how Duncan Campbell Scott finally agreed to reimburse. And they talked about, you know, $30 a child and $50 a child and how that was so much hair splitting that a lot of things didn't happen. That's why a lot of kids were never sent home because it would be so expensive. And I just, I just find it infuriating that everybody seems to be okay with this. So it didn't talk about its Indian hospitals as much as I thought it would in here. Um, it did reference a little bit of the um, Edmonton uh, Charles Kemsel Hospital, but uh, Indian hospitals have been all across the country to se segregate them from, um, from the whites and to try to treat the tuberculosis, but really what it was was just continuing it. So um, identifying cemetery locations. So we have lots that um, are just not properly marked at all. And they shifted based off of whether a school burnt down. Um, and to this day, a lot of them are, are being left. So uh, page 130 talked a bit about, you know, them just being left alone. Uh, they referenced Muse, Moose Factory, First Nation, Quopel, Fort um, Francis. They talked about the McDougal Orphanage at, Memo at Morley. And again, I don't know where those are and we're in Treaty 7. If we don't advocate for it, then it won't get done. So we need to see it. But uh, on the next page was the one uh, referencing mine. At Fort Providence, Northwest Territories, the site of one of the earliest missionary residential schools in Canada, local initiatives have led to documentation, commemoration, and protection of the cemetery association with the residential school and early community, which included a hospital. Community member Albert Lafferty initiated research into the cemetery in 92. He concluded that one cemetery located close to Fort Providence Residential School had been in use until 1929. That number matters to me. My um, grandmother was born in 1933, but her parents would have gone to that. Uh, when it was abandoned, it was used as a potato field. The remains of missionaries buried in that cemetery were relocated to a new cemetery while the remains apparently were not re relocated. There's no certainty as to how many individuals are buried in the old cemetery, which I know because I've been there and there's a, a fence that very clearly there's a cross in the middle and nobody, like clearly they're graves, but you don't know who they are or nothing. And mine's one of the better ones. One study stated that there are approximately 150 deaths of children and adults in one Fort Providence region prior to the closure of the old cemetery in 1929. It is not known how many of those individuals were buried in the original uh, cemetery or how many residential school students. 
A monument has been placed at the site. It includes the names of a few adults, but far more names of partial names of many, many children from communities running the entire length of the Mackenzie River uh, Valley. So it actually gave some references. So I went back um, through those references to go to them because this is like deeply connected to my own family. And um, so uh, there's a few things I need to look up now that I, I didn't know about before as a result of this um, article. So um, Derek Neary, Providence Graves Located. Apparently that was published uh, in 2003. And then there's more, but I'd, I have to look up more of that, that information. And again, I'm going to reemphasize my uh, family is a little more um, acknowledged than others. And I, I don't know how this isn't a national crime. Like we talk about finding Chloe, that's one little girl. We're talking about thousands of children. Thousands of children. And my UCP government doesn't even want to acknowledge it as genocide. Yeah, Andrea? I, you're on mute, honey. I can't hear you. Um, sorry about that. So is there anybody, you know, the UFC doing any kind of work on this? Like, I would think it would be an organization like that um, that would kind of want to have that, like the, the historical facts of how many kids are missing, da-da-da-da-da, that they could, archaeologists might go in and do some research there is do have we do we know of anyone there at UFC is doing that? UFC? Yeah. I, I don't think the, the UFC cares. I don't think anybody cares. I, I I can't emphasize this enough. No one cares. No one. Hmm. Like no one cares. And it, it's a, it's actually it's actually worse than what Michelle is saying because they're actively blocking it says on the this must have been a quote from Beyond 94 because I'm not very good at taking notes anymore. It says blocking the creation of statistic reports. Um, and, and so that was this summer. That was the report was that people are actively blocking the use of the little amount of stuff that's been collected and they're blocking the creation of reports or anything putting the, these uh, this information to use. And those, the people blocking, is that like us whitey pants people? Yeah, someone is. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. who it always is. Like right now we have the UCP purposely trying to take out this information. This is a sort so of- would, That would have been a short note from one of the Beyond 94 uh, points. You know, so wherever it said in Beyond 94 to, to statistics and whatnot so that was one of the uh, short notes uh, I think I think it goes beyond not caring I, I think it's it's very deliberate like if you stop just think for any of us who've ever walked through any cemetery and you come across the cemetery of a child it, it's right here mm -hmm. just think of the power yeah if there were memorial physical memorials for every child or every group of children, and they were all over. Thousands. And, and I think that would bring home to people what those residential schools meant and what colonization has meant in a way that other things don't. I think it would really 
hit people. They don't want people to be moved at that emotional level around these issues. So I'm sitting here going, if we could find even just one, like from Treaty 7, just one to start with and and, uh, create some, go ahead, I mean, do we have to wait for permission? Depending on where it is, aren't there places where you could probably just engaging with the indigenous community in the area create a monument? Or markers? That was the impression I got from that Beyond 94 there. uh, Beyond 94 where they're in community consultation and conversation. Mm -hmm. Where it's like that stalling. Because like ultimately, from what I've seen today coming from the NDP and from the Liberals and everybody, it really (laughs) is federally. We, like I know being a part of our party, we are getting ready for a federal election. We have to. Because we have a minority government. And I know damn well. All of the progressives are going to be like, well, Trudeau sucks, so we're voting NDP, and then the conservatives get in. And the conservatives don't have any indigenous agenda whatsoever. And then the liberals can go, we tried, but then, you know, Canada didn't back us. And then it's... That's where we're at. So it, this is a federal responsibility in collaboration with pro- provinces, treaty uh, partners, and it, it's just. Well, why do we have to wait for the government to move on it? Mm-hmm. We shouldn't. Why can't we do it from a community level? We should. And get, you know, if we're looking for land for commemoration, I mean, maybe some people would donate it, their land or something like that. We don't have to wait for the government to give it to us. Well, the actual sites, though, is what Michelle is talking about, the actual Right, and, and I'm thinking like we have the sites, but then, you know, we can still have signs, education, acknowledgement signs. It doesn't necessarily have to be there, but just to educate people, make them aware that in this area, know that this happened and we're responsible. Well, why don't we put up a, a, even just a, just a, a plywood um memorial down at the uh, Fort Calgary site beside this statue that negates anything ever being here, right? You know, something like that. Like, if we're just going to do a community, we're going to do a community style. Mm-hmm. You know, we could get an artist involved or we could just mm-hmm. print some words on plywood, have a memorial called the Sprawl Paper. I mean, that's the only thing I can imagine. Andrea, it said in my notes as well that the First Nations Studies Department at the Vancouver Island University. That's You're cutting it. out there, Heather. Um, Sorry. The um, First Nations Studies Department at Vancouver Island University, and I've never heard of that, Vancouver Island University. Capilano? Capilano. Is that Capilano it, uh, U? Was it Capilano College before? Oh, could be. I wonder. Okay. Oh. Anyways, that's a First Nations Studies Department, and then there's Athabasca University as First mm-hmm. Nations Studies. Hey, I, I commit. I commit to talking to um, Adrian Wolfleg and someone else I know who has very good connections and relationships with members of the Blackfoot community to find out where they might want something done as a community effort. We can do it 
we can do it as the book club and invite other people in and, and, and then use it to encourage other people to do others. Let's, we should be embarrassing the government by just doing it. So I commit to doing that. And, and I'll let you all know through Michelle what kind of a response I get. Do you guys want to start up a Facebook group and a Facebook page? Because I was, I was just going to say, Michelle, that if we had everybody had, we shared emails or something, then we could all kind of be chit-chatting and bringing each other up to speed on where we're at. I, I hate too many emails, and especially if it's not productive. At least that's what Facebook is good for when it comes to, like, you know, and stuff like that. Too. But that's I don't, perfect. so like, throw your emails in, no problem. Throw your emails in the chat if you want to be included. And, um, but at the same time, can I encourage like a Facebook group? Is that acceptable or do you prefer a WhatsApp group? It's just, um, I mean, I, I know all of you are active in some way. So sometimes the messages can get overwhelming. So if well, what, what would work for everybody? Do you want to try, do you want to do like a Facebook group? Are we more familiar with that? People can do it, but I will be needing one person I get my information to to put it on because I don't do Facebook. Okay, and, and I know Michelle, I don't know if you want to do it. I'm happy to take that on to kind of manage that. Um, how about I? How about I create one, or you create one, and we'll just make each other like co-hosts or whatever. And then, um, and but too, if people do want to put in their email, please put in their email, and we'll we'll start that as well, so that I can email you the link that we're referencing so that you can send it out to your email folks. So could I, could I verbally give my email to somebody to put in the chat? Sure. Okay. That, okay. So it's, it's my name, all one word, small case, Rosemary Brown at Shaw.ca. Okay. Perfect. And then who, who will I contact? Once I start getting, where do I send my, well, you're going to send the email list out to all of us, right? Yeah, if you want to take down my email, just as a reference now. Okay. It's A. Yeah. A F. Mm -hmm. Joyce. J O Y C E at gmail.com. And that's Andrea. Mm -hmm. Correct. You're Andrea, right? Yeah. Okay, so A is an apple, F is in Fred, Joyce at gmail.com. You got it. Thank you. Okay. So yeah, I think, yeah, if we can just find that forum where we can share information, talk as a group, mm -hmm. um, then I think we can I think we can start to to crack this one because it's it's absolutely not okay. No, it's it's disgusting and embarrassing and I can't even encapsulate how angry I am at it. Uh, it is 8.31, so I respect and appreciate everybody being a part of this conversation. My apologies for all the F-bombs, but I think if there's something we should be F-bombing about, it should definitely be this. I can't believe it. So um, if you're welcome to go, I'll understand if you need to, but if you'd like to have some closing, closing thoughts, I, I encourage that. Well, I'm glad we're going to do something for those kids. It'll help me sleep better at night. Excellent. 
I want to make a lot of people not sleep better at night. Sorry. No, I, I, I think that's the <laughs> Yeah. Same for me. Awesome. Me too. Thanks <laughs> to everybody. I'm really grateful to um, have heard your opinions and your input and always Michelle. Huge, huge thank you for all your work, your emotional labor, your love for us. And please know that we appreciate you. And we're, we're in it together with you. Yeah, we are in it together. And I don't know about these governments, but I know I care about reconciliation. And I know the Indigenous population, like I'm privileged. And I know that a lot are still working on healing. Uh, I know three people right now that are suicidal. You know, I, I can't emphasize enough, we are living a genocide and we need settlers to step up. So I'll create this right now, send you guys an email and um, we'll go from there and hopefully we can start even emailing each other and campaigning to get that done and, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. forcing all these stupid political parties who just don't get it to get it. I can I say something? I was thinking of something that Terry said, and I, I wish I could be more excited. Um, but, but Terry mentioned the word gaslighting. And Carol and I have been talking a lot about narcissistic systems. And I'm seeing the colonizing system as a narcissistic system. And I don't know if there is, and I, this feels very depressing. I don't know if there's any way, because the thing about narcissistic systems is the biggest thing is lack of empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is gaslighting, projection, denial. I, I don't know. I don't know that you can do anything to make people. I mean, that sounds so defeatist. I'm sorry, but I agree with Rosemary that you have to get, yeah, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know how you get people in narcissistic systems to care or to see it, not even care, but see other people's reality. And that's the thing that is happening. I think is you just, these kids don't have a reality the people don't exist. So I don't know. One of the things, one of the things is Roberta is to really focus your goals and to open one person's eyes maybe but to change the system right away by pushing back cannot be our goal right but to to get the people at sprawl to write an article to keep it out there right you know so we have to make sure that our goals because you're right we're not going to change those people with their eyes closed walking around up here justifying what they've done and what's been done and where we're at, we're not going to change their minds. But we, we can still have a goal of pushing back and not holding on to it ourselves. Right. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Folks, I was wondering if you wanted to uh, take a picture. So uh, I'll uh, do a screenshot. And um, those who don't want to be in it, you can turn off your um, your your video. And uh, Terry, I don't know if you want to come on for that picture or if you're okay with. I uh, I don't have a camera, so. Okay, you That's don't mind me taking at. a picture though of your hands. Um, let me see if I can find a uh, a different. Uh... 
Let's do this one. They are beautiful hands. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That's perfect. Okay. So I'm going to take a picture if everybody's good in three, two. Okay. I think I got a picture. <laughs> okay. We'll put it in there. The founding group of, I don't know, Anti-Narcissist Society. I don't know what to call it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll discuss it. About, we'll figure it well, out. Yeah. I think something as simple as remember the children or, yeah. you know. Well, we do, if we're doing Orange Shirt Day every year, we could, that seems like we could also do this at the same time. Mm -hmm. Little kids could fundraise for this yep. to do something concrete like. I don't know. I'm just throwing out ideas. I don't know, but I, I think and it's we need like a, a graphic. We need a ad people. Does anyone know any ad people who like design campaigns, social media campaigns, things like that? Yeah, I think between Michelle and I, we can probably yeah. do that. Anyway, I'm just throwing out things that I'm like. Well, maybe what we'll do is we'll plan a strategic planning meeting and have a conversation about what do memorials look like? Because, yes. um, you know, obviously it's a bigger than a two hour conversation of debunk or uh, not debunking, um, reflecting on volume four. I mean, that's it's a lot. Yeah. Just the book, let alone the subject, let alone the solutions. And yeah. our inept yeah. governments obviously are not moving forward quick enough for my liking. And, you know, I, I don't want my child to have to be fundraising for it but apparently that's where we're at so and i think it would only be only white children will fundraise <laughs> yeah I, th I think it would be good too if 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 um the memorial went beyond commemoration and also became a call to action and to reference the uh, child welfare system because that's yeah. the continuation of residential schools today right yeah. so anyway just a thought yeah and you know i'll um because i i wanted to reach out to um especially senator sinclair's office but obviously i think the introductory message needs to be here's our book club here's the youtube link to our book club here's our facebook group that we're starting um nothing mm -hmm. you know, without you kind of email start and get moving and then once we become you know bigger and a, a real conversation that i mean it's it's embarrassing i there's no talking point for this that you can screw up that's not embarrassing for every government and every canadian i think so um anyway 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 thanks everybody for joining us we're way over time thank you yeah. thank you thank you michelle really good thanks thank michelle you. Yeah, Thanks thank you. Be in touch. <laughs> keep, well, keep well, everybody. You too. Yes. 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 And uh, does everyone remember next uh, month? Uh, oh. All Our Relations by Tanya Talaga. Awesome. Okay. All Our Relations. How do you spell her last name again? T-A-L-A-G-A. -A -A. Right. We've read something by her before. Yeah. Yes. Was she Seven Fallen Feathers? Yes. Okay. Great. Thank you. Yes. I think this was one you had um, wanted. 
that you'd suggested. It, it's going to be a great book. I don't think I own it yet. I think I have to buy it. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Thanks, Terry. Yes, the thank link. Terry. Yes. Where's Terry? There's Terry. I'm oh, just hi. pointing out the screen. <laughs> I can't okay. see well, Terry, so I don't know where people are. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Take care, everybody. Awesome. Bye, everybody. everybody. See you, you again. Take care. Bye. Oh, such a good group. Mm, very. I'll copy all of that. Hi. <laughs> Thanks, Terry, for coming. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you and make sure you take some care of yourself tonight so you can actually sleep. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> 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 right on. Thanks, Terry, for everything. I appreciate it. Good night. Okay.